Grace to you and peace from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I remember in a seminary, one of my professors getting up to preach a sermon. And he, he introduced the sermon by talking about this church. Now, I'll be honest, I've never been able to find this church. And maybe some of you might know where it is, because apparently it's in Chicago. At least that's what he said. But he talked about how in this church they had these massive stained glass windows, these beautiful stained glass windows. And on the cover of each of these stained glass windows was a depiction of a martyr, somebody who had witnessed, who had proclaimed the gospel and had paid the ultimate price, someone who had died for the faith. But that's not the only thing that was unique about this church. You see, because from the ceiling... What this church decided to do is they actually decided to hang from the ceiling the very instruments, little kind of replicas of the very instruments that had caused the martyrdom. So if the person had been stabbed to death, there was a knife hanging. And if they were burned at the stake, there was some version of a stake and branches all hanging there to display for everybody how this person had died for the sake of the gospel. How this person, who had proclaimed Christ Jesus, had died for the faith. You know, when you think about an image like that, and like I said, I've never actually been able to find the church to figure out exactly which one it is. But when you think about that, the imagery that is behind that, it does kind of pose the question. What would the stained glass windows look like today? What would they look like in the modern era? Now, yes, there's other countries for sure where, where persecution and even martyrdom certainly happens. Unfortunately, a lot of these things happen a lot like they did in the past. Well, what about right here? What about in America? What about in the Midwest? What would our stained glass windows look like? What are some things that have caused us persecution and pain? But more importantly, what are some of those things that have caused tension to come about, that have caused others to walk away, that have caused others to leave the faith? What would be on their stained glass windows? What would be hanging from their ceiling? Would it just be an agenda of an attention meeting where people got angry? Would it be a written document of all the statements that somebody said to them that they thought was rude and unkind? Would it be that one bread pan that somebody threw away but they didn't ask them? What would it look like? What would be hanging from our ceiling? What would it be for us? Realize this morning, as I talk about this and as I, I say these words, I'm not just preaching at you. But realize I've been to some of those meetings, and I, I hate to admit it, but there are times when even I can get worked up, when even I can become the culprit. I've been apologized to, and I've also given the apology. Anybody who's been in church long enough, especially in the inner workings of church, knows that any church that's been around for longer than about a month, sometimes these things happen. Tensions arise, differences of opinion happen. But a house divided cannot stand. It ceases. It stagnates. It refuses and cannot move forward. A house divided. 
Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. That's where he's headed. He's on his way to Jerusalem. That's where we're going with him. We're following him all during Lent. This is where we are headed with him. And Jesus cast out demons. Now, he's been talking to his disciples, but now it seems Jesus is talking to a group that is with him. There is a group of people that is following Jesus as he treks his way all the way to Jerusalem. And within this group, there seems to almost be subgroups. Now, one of the subgroups thinks that Jesus is the Messiah. They think that he is really something. They might not be able to quite figure out exactly what he is yet, but they think he is really something. There's another subgroup that does not like Jesus. They do not like what he stands for, and they're there to get in his way. And then there's another group that seems to be almost neutral. They don't quite know what to think of Jesus quite yet. One of these subgroups begins to accuse Jesus that he is casting out demons by Beelzebub, by Satan. He is, he is casting out demons using the power of the demons. And so that's the accusation. And so Jesus kind of comes back at them, responds to them, and he kind of gives a very posing question. You see, there are, while we have in our scriptures all these instances where Jesus himself is casting out demons, is performing the exorcism, the reality is, is that exorcisms were happening in more places than that. There were others that were also performing exorcisms. There were also others that were casting out demons, some of them in Jesus' name, but some of them Jews, some of them very close to the inner workings of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and so forth. And so the question comes is that are these doing it with the word of God? Are these doing it on behalf of God or are they not? Because if they are, then that means that that is something that the demons, that Satan does not like. And if it is something that Satan does not like, why would he then turn around and begin to like it over here, want it to be done over here in the name of Jesus? A house divided, a kingdom divided. So if, if the Jews are doing it in the name of God, then that means that Jesus must also be doing it by the name of God. That's the response. And it's a good response. It's a good question. Because you see, Jesus is on a mission. Jesus is on a mission to go to Jerusalem. And he also says that this is not just the name of God, but in fact, he uses this phrase, the finger of God. Now, that's not the first time we heard it. And in fact, that's not even the first time we heard it this morning. There's a reason this morning that our Old Testament reading is our Old Testament reading. In Exodus 8, when the magicians come up to Pharaoh, they talk about the plagues and they say, this is not done by us, this is the finger of God. And in fact, in Deuteronomy, there is a prophecy that there is going to be one that comes that is like Moses but greater than him, that speaks face to face with God, but in fact is greater than Moses. And so Jesus here, with his language, with his words, is letting those know that he is the one that was to come. That he was the one that was prophesied that's going to be like Moses but greater. One who could talk face to face with God, but one who also cast out demons 
with the very power of God. But Jesus is on a mission. He's on a mission. And yes, as he goes on that mission, it seems like the kingdom of God is seeping out through the cracks, but he is on a mission to Jerusalem. And once he gets there, he will go upon the cross and he will die for the sins of all mankind. He will die for your sins and for my sins. And nothing is going to get in his way. He is on a mission. He is focused. It is not a kingdom divided, but a kingdom upon a mission. You know, one of the things that I actually really, really appreciate about Sam Prairie is that in all the meetings that I've been to, even at times when maybe tensions arise, I can honestly say that while there may be differences of opinion, the mission has always been the same. Yes, at times, tensions arise. That's natural. It happens in all churches. But the mission has always been the same. The mission has always been about the proclamation of the gospel and how to get the word of God outside of these doors. It's always been the mission here at Sam Prairie. Now, sometimes we differ on how we think that that should be achieved, but ultimately the mission is the same. We are focused. We want to venture out and to proclaim that gospel. But how does it look like in our lives? How has the mission impacted our lives? How is our Christian walk? Have we established the mission of God as our focus, as our priority? Or have we allowed other things to creep into our lives to offset those priorities? Where are we at? As we reflect upon that, and as we realize, no doubt, that there have been times when other priorities have crept into our lives, allow me to share some good news with you. This morning, your sins are forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you walk out these doors, you have a blank slate. You are forgiven through Jesus Christ, which means you have yet another chance to reset your priorities to think about that, to reflect upon that, to say, what are my priorities and what is the mission? What is my focus? How can I move forward? And so it is that as we think and we dwell on that, as we know that our sins have been forgiven through Christ Jesus, our Lord, let us ever move forward. Let us ever move forward with our priorities straight, with the proclamation of the gospel upon our tongue, and with the mission of the church at hand. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ.